Welcome to episode 12 of Nine on Hockey. Ern, here we are, episode 12. We've had a fun couple of weeks, two weeks till Christmas. It's coming up quick, Bob. This is, uh, it, it feels like yesterday we just started talking, we're talking preseason, and now all of a sudden it's Christmas time, we're all-star voting in, it's right around the corner, next thing you know it's going to be playoffs. It's just going by quick. Well, I hope you got me something good for Christmas this year. I did. I sent you one of your gifts yesterday. You should have got it soon. I look forward to it. Yeah. Thank you very much. So we've got a fun show today. We're uh, going to talk a little bit about the Islanders, and uh, we got to see them in uh, Tampa last week uh, together. That was a lot of fun, and uh, hung out and saw some of the players after, which was uh, which is always fun. We're also going to have John Barr from the move to NHL to Seattle.com and talk a little bit about what unfolded at the uh, the Board of Governors meeting in here in Florida last week and get uh, get his perspective on that. Exciting to see that there may be a additional expansion, and uh Maybe tell some stories a little bit. So, ready to go? Yeah, we love stories. I'm ready to go always. All right, excellent. So, hey, last week we take the drive up to Tampa. By the way, I don't think I ever made it any quicker than uh, with you driving. So, we do appreciate how fast we made it from Naples to uh, uh, to, to downtown Tampa. But what was your thought on the game? And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was close for a while. You know, Lightning got off to a good start. The Islanders kind of battled back 2-2. And then... Uh, all of a sudden, every bounce seemed to go Tampa's way. Yeah, it was uh, it was a it was a fun game to watch. I mean, it didn't start off good for the Islanders. Tampa, you could just see what a good hockey team that they have, and the Islanders were coming off their second on their back to back, and Tampa was sitting at home, waiting fresh for them to get there. And uh, you know, like I said, the Islanders started off a little little slow, weathered the storm, and they came out in the second and actually tied the hockey game. And you thought that, hey, here we go, we have a hockey game, and the next thing you know, a couple penalties the Islanders took and. Tampa's power play deadly. They scored some power play goals. Next thing you know, it was five to two, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, it was interesting when you know that uh, I think it was eleven two the shots on goal in the first period. And I turned to you midway through the first period. I'm like, "What would you do? What, what would you say?" And you just you use those words. They just got to weather the storm right now. And for the most part, Thomas Grice played pretty well there. And then they gave up a late goal, and um, you know, but they came out a different team in the second period. And it was the first time you had gotten to see Matt Barzal yeah. live. What are your thoughts on the? My uh, my preseason pick you, for the Calder you, Trophy. You seem like you're a genius because watching him play and, and even after uh, watching the Islanders play and seeing what he's done, he's magical. I mean, the kid, he can skate, but he can make plays and he can score. He's got unbelievable hands. And, uh, you know, before you had mentioned it to him, uh, mentioned his name in preseason, I had no idea who he was. And now everybody knows who he is. And, you know, they're talking about him being one of the favorites to win the Calder, just like you said. So, uh it's a bright future for the Islanders. Hopefully, uh, we talk or we're going to talk a little bit about the Islanders moving forward, trying to see if they get a new building and get their captain signed up. But uh, Barzal, what a heck of a hockey player! And I got to see him firsthand. Uh, he's pretty amazing. Yeah, I was in Sunrises uh, on Monday night, and he he took got the game winner in the shootout. And first time he ever taken a shootout, and boy, he went in there like he knew what he was doing. He went to the backhand and fired it up top, and. Uh, I will tell you, when you give that kid time and space, he is just absolutely magical. And you can see the work around them also with Andrew Ladd and uh, and what uh, Jordan Eberle have been able to do. I think it's take a great deal of pressure off the John Tavares line. So, uh, you know, the Islanders, I, we recorded uh, our last episode, we're flying high. But, you know, it's amazing in the NHL how things can change so quickly in the narrative on a team. And here's a situation right now with the Islanders in the last five games. They're 1-3-1. and one. 
Uh, they had a nice little comeback to get a point in, in Pittsburgh on Thursday night. But uh, you realize that uh, they moved from what was almost being in first place now to being in the wild card spot. And one or two wins or losses either way can uh, can make a big difference in the standings right now in that Metropolitan Division. Yeah, a lot of road games. All, all, they were on a long little road trip. And that's why you hear why coaches say it's always important. you got to win every game at home uh, because you go on the uh, go on the road and try to you know, obviously you want to win every single game, but that's not going to happen. Try to do a 50-50 split, but you have to win those games at home. And the Islanders had a tough little road trip right there where they played some really good hockey teams. And, uh, you know, they squeaked out a point in Pittsburgh the other night, but uh, hopefully they get back home and uh, start racking up some points at home. Well, starting tonight, they have seven of their next eight at home and 10 of their next 14 until early January at the Barclays Center, where they only have one regulation loss so far. So um, I agree with you. I think this is a big stretch for the Islanders to kind of make some hay and, uh, uh, you know, get their fans behind them and have a little bit of excitement. And for those of you traveling to the Barclays Center during the holiday season, I did that right before Thanksgiving. It is not an easy place to get to, and it may look like the Islanders might not have to be going there too much longer. As um, the room, one of the uh, the bidders or three bidders for this uh, uh, development site at Belmont Park uh, on the Queens uh, Nassau border, and the rumors now seem to favor that the the Islanders may be the team that uh, the the bid that gets it. They they had a uh, public hearing yesterday in Elmont, Long Island, and uh, they showed what the plans are. It involves a hotel being uh, built on there, a retail shopping plaza, a Long Island Railroad stop, so it's uh, much more convenient from the fans in uh, Queens and Nassau to get to and in Suffolk County, so uh, I think exciting times to be in a building where they have good sight lines and it's theirs, and for the first time in a quarter of a century, you won't be discussing where the Islanders have to play going forward. How long, how long does it take to, to put up a facility like that? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I know some people were talking on some of the fan boards. I looked up at that from when they put a shovel in the ground for the, um, um, the uh, arena in uh, Detroit. Oh. It was a little over two years. Oh. So it was 2015 in the spring of 2015 when Little Caesars was. And it seems like for the other arenas that have been built in the last couple of years, that's it's about – 27 to 30 months in that that realm so hopefully if the islanders are awarded the bid and they wanted to start the development of it you would think that hopefully by the 2020-21 season they'd be playing that new building they're contractually obligated to play at barclays next year uh there was some talk on our friends uh, brian compton on the islander seek podcast talked a little bit about even the possibility of maybe returning to the nassau coliseum for even a season um, while that season's being built, because I think the Barclays Center wants to move past the Islanders, and uh, it's the same management company that runs the Coliseum right now as runs the Barclays Center. Oh. So uh, maybe an interesting opportunity for the fans, and um, you know, as exciting as everything been has been, that would be uh, finally put that to rest and move forward. And I think uh, add more stability to a franchise that seems to be uh, heading in the right direction. Yeah, the big time and. In- Maybe that can alleviate uh, the signing and hopefully get signed their captain back because that was one of the issues. But we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, obviously, <clears throat> no one's going to know what's on John's mind until he, you know, he decides that he wants to uh, move forward. I, I would find it interesting <clears throat> for him to prolong it uh, or uh, too much longer. But you, you just never know. He's, you know, you've talked about this, friends that you've had, and even yourself, and you work your entire life to come to that point where you have all the negotiating power and the leverage. It happens mm-hmm. for so few players, and it when it does, they deserve to explore every option available to them. I totally understand that. Yeah, he's made. He's uh, he, he can do what he wants. Basically, here's a blank check. What do you want? Write your number down. So, I think he's going to play it out for a little longer, even though the Islander fans don't want to see that. But uh, we just have to wait. 
No, I think that's uh, will be the case. So we talked a little bit about the Islanders there. We saw Tampa. I, after seeing them live and uh, watching them in person, they your pick right now, do you think, to win the Stanley Cup? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, just unbelievable. They look. They remind me of uh, the Red Wings back in the heyday when they were just everybody coming to the puck. They're so fast. They're so skilled. The puck's on and off their stick. And they got snipers every which direction. I mean, you go up and down that lineup, and everybody can score. they got good, solid defensemen. And the one thing is Vasilevsky, can he stay healthy? If he's healthy, you have to think the Stanley Cup rolls through Tampa. But, you know, that's why we play the game. We have to wait. We have to see. A lot of things can happen. And the one thing, knock on wood, for the Tampa Bay Lightning, they haven't been hit with that injury bug like they've been hit in the last couple of years, uh, losing their captain a couple of years and Callahan and a lot of other players. So uh, we just have to wait and see. But right now they're looking like the team to beat uh, in, in the NHL. No, I would think so, too. And you mentioned about goaltending and Vasilevsky, how well he's played, and it's just amazing to be able to develop goaltending the way they've had, be able to trade Ben Bishop and get an asset for him before his contract was up last year. Goaltending has been a problem. The Islanders, we saw that right now. They're going back and forth between Halak and Grice, and we saw Thomas Grice live. He he did not look sharp, and you know Yaroslav Halak seems to be giving up a, you know, a bad goal per game. And as you watch the rest of the league – that's kind of indicative of where most teams have been. Some guys are starting to turn around right now. Took a rest. Looks like he's kind of figuring it out in the last five mm-hmm. or six games. Carey Price, obviously. Henrik Lundqvist got off to a slow start. Very few goaltenders right now, I think, are kind of at that elite level where they've been consistent. Do you think that's just a product of, hey, that's the rules now, goal scoring's up, the equipment's been tweaked a little bit, or it was just a little bit of anomaly where certain guys were in a little bit of a slump to start the season? I just think certain – I mean, I think everything plays into into that where the games it's built now for try to score goals, but I, I don't think anybody can go a full season – uh, a goaltender player or anything will just be and stand on their head. There's going to be there's going to be ups. There's going to be downs, um, and, and I just think that early in the season you saw some goaltenders who you wouldn't think uh, started off as they did wouldn't start like that. But you know what happens, and you find that where Carey Price was out for a while, he comes back and he and he gets rolling again. You know, he lost a couple games last time. Same thing with uh, Tuka Rask and Lundqvist as well. The Rangers started off like holy smokes, gonna, everybody let's get rid of everybody, let's start over, but. The Rangers have come on now. That's because Lundqvist has been playing well. So there's ups, there's downs, and it's just uh, you, you caught those goaltenders early in the season, and, and you know they, they're finding their way now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I you know, mentioned the Islanders. We saw them in a 2-1-3-1 uh, with the empty net goal on uh, on Saturday. That was kind of more of a tight, physical, checking-type game. And does that start as we get now close to the second half of the season – does that start to become play out the more two one three two games opposed to these four three five four six five games that we've watched over? I I'll yeah. say I, I like the entertainment <clears> hockey yeah. I've watched over the course. Uh, I'm a product of this late seventies and eighties when goal scoring was up. So um, you know it's nice to see the opportunities there for uh, for you know teams. You're up by one or two goals. It doesn't mean anything anymore. No. Ten years ago with the trap, that was you're up by two goals. That was it. It yeah, was, game, it was over. game over. But yeah, no, I. I Coaches hate the track. They call it the track meet, up and down, up and down. And, you know, if you have a skilled team like the Tampa Bay Lightning or a fast team, you know, you could get away with it. But most coaches don't like to play that up and down, up, up and down, quick style of hockey. They want to lock it down. They don't want to give up goal te- or give up goals because they know come playoff time, and, and you're right, come later in the season, you're going to see those games locked down. You're not going to see the high scoring affairs, I don't think. You're going to see coaches harping on their players. we got to play our game, play our system. Uh, but – you know, we've seen it early. It's fun. It's entertaining. But you're right. They're gonna. It's gonna slow down. I think uh, come later in the season. 
So Edmonton, they had a big win over the weekend, but uh, you, I know you saw some of the, the videos with Todd McClellan out there really kind of giving it to the team about the defensive coverage in their zone. And I think the people in Edmonton were expecting uh, the Stanley Cup just to be handed oh, yeah. to them. But how much, when you were playing, how much did the coach's message really be able to resonate as far as changing the play? I've always been curious to that as a fan because you, know, you, you see the preparation, you see the teams talk about being able to play a certain system and then... It doesn't happen. How much impact does it really have the, from pra- translating what happens in practice to really what goes on during game day? I mean, obviously, you practice, you play the way you practice. This is what I was raised, and uh, I mean, I think coaches all say the same thing. And I think a coach can put into a system. Ultimately, comes down to the players: are they going to perform? Are they going to do the system? Or are they going to, you know, perform like they should perform? Obviously, there's going to be some bounces that that don't go your way, but. More or less, I think a coach is like a psychologist. I know I played for a lot of co- coaches, and it was they're like they they want to play these mind games with you. Find a way to get you motivated. Find a way to get you to bring your A game. Whether um, you know back in the old days, it was scream, 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 scream. But now these are younger players. It's a new generation, new time. Coaches have to find a way to uh, get to every player. One player he might not be. Uh, a player to be yelled at. He needs to be caught a little bit to get the most out of him. One player might not need to be screamed and yelled at. It's a different game now than it was back back in the back in the old days. But um, you know, I think, like I said, coaches. I think they're they're psychologists. They just have to find a way that's going to get the most out of every one of their players. And I think that what that's what makes a good coach. Uh, and I think that's why you know John Cooper. I know we're talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, they are yeah the best team. But I think. Just him as a coach and how he can deal and handle every single player in a different way, in a different manner. I think that's why those guys, uh, you know, give it all every night and they love him. They love him as a coach. And one of the things that you didn't have years ago was social media. And uh, this came over today and I was just kind of curious what your thoughts were. Ryan Hartman, one of the good young players for the Chicago Blackhawks, he's been uh, in and out of the lineup a little bit. And one of the fans responded to, uh, one of the beat writers saying that Richard Panic should not be in our lineup, but yet he's still here. And actually Ryan Hartman liked the comment and it's funny how little things go on there, but here's a situation where, um, you know, you got uh, a player kind of publicly calling out through social media, a, a, a player who's currently in the lineup and the Chicago Blackhawks who have to me been the model of a, a perfect organization for the last decade seems to have, uh, you know, a little bit being a little bit on hard times right now. And Joel Quinville, what does he do in a situation like that to kind of get the room back together? Because clearly, there's there's something going on in Chicago. Oh, obviously, and and that's a shock because that's the first time I've seen that. And you have to think that uh, Ryan Hartman's going to be getting talked, uh, spoken to by the coach or the GM or who, or even maybe uh, one of the captains on that team. Because that's just one of those things you don't see, uh, you know, hockey players do uh, do that sort of thing, especially your own teammate. But stuff happens, and we'll never know what happens because that's one of those issues that's behind closed doors, and I'm sure it'll be handled. But uh, ooh, that's a that's a toughie. I just that's the first time I've seen that. Well, you know, from our from a fan's perspective, it's always you know you think you have an idea of what goes on, but there's so much that goes on behind the scenes, just like any other workplace, right? The, yeah. the uh, being a team in the NHL or the American League or the ECHL, there yeah. it's a workplace environment, and there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes, and you know that locker room culture is very important. Sometimes you're like, why does why does a certain veteran always seem to get traded at trade deadline to a, a Stanley Cup contending team, it's because they can have a positive impact in the lineup. Anything from your perspective when you were uh, 
when you were in the lineup or in the locker room, there were funny stories that oh, went on? Yeah, funny. A lot of funny stories. I, I, I think a, a good, a funny story was, uh, you know, back, it was back in 2004. Um, it was the lockout year. And I was uh, under contract with the Lowell Lock Monsters of the American Hockey League, which was Carolina's farm team. And uh, I'd spent the previous two years in Worcester, which was in the American League, and St. Louis's farm team. And I ended up signing a uh, two-way contract to start the season with the Florida Everblades and Lowell. And I came down to Florida and played a little preseason and got called up before the, the regular season started um, for the Everblades. Gets, I get called up, so I have to fly to Providence, and I'm playing with Lowell. So I get to the locker room, and one of the rituals, new guy comes in, or you know, you've been on a lineup for a while. Uh, money on the board, put money on the board. Money on the board means, hey, you put whatever you want on the board. The, the money goes to the game winner, the guy who scores the game winning goal, or it can go to the uh, the team uh, bar fund or whatever, whatever you have it. So uh, it was a lockout that year. There was a lot of really good players, and I remember it was Mike Commodore. He was uh, everybody's in the locker room. We're all getting ready, getting stretched. Lineups weren't uh, up on the board yet. Uh, to who was playing with who or, or whatnot. And I knew a lot of the guys because I played against them playing in Worcester. But obviously there was a lot of uh, younger guys in there. And some of the guys that actually played in the NHL um, were there because it was a lockout. So my Commodore earned money on the board, money on the board. I said, yeah, throw me up for 50 bucks. 50 bucks earned, bigger. Big spender. Big spender. 50 bucks for the game winner. And literally uh, – 30 seconds after I said, Hey, throw me up for 50. There's this young kid who's, uh, he's, he's laying on the ground. He's stretching his groins and kind of got his back to me. He's, he, he's got 10 synergies and fan synergies. These are expensive sticks. You know, you don't, you gotta be a big time player to have 10, 11, 12 synergies sitting by you. Well, this guy yells up and goes, yeah, commie put me up for 1500. I'm like 1500. Who the heck is this guy? This little puke. You know, looking down, I throw up 50 shows me up. He says, throw up 1500. Well, Tom Rowe walks in. Tom Rowe was the head coach of the team. He puts the lines up, and he writes up the lines. He's, and I'm playing with uh, Chuck Kobasu's on the left, Eric Stahl at center, Ernie Hartley on the right. It was Actually, it was Eric Stahl who was laying on the ground stretching. said, throw up 1,500, showed me up. So it was, it was a funny story. His brothers actually came down and played, and I told a story, and they were dying laughing. But it was uh, the first time I realized it was Eric Stahl. He was only 18 years old. It was his uh, first year. And uh, he's showing me up, throwing fifteen hundred up on the board. So you're saying his signing bonus was a little oh, higher yeah. than yours? Yeah, I got a I got a team jacket and a handshake. He got uh, he got ten synergies and a couple of million dollars, so he could afford to put up fifteen hundred on the board. The, the jacket's <laughs> always nice, though. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah. All right, Ern. Our next guest is a, a buddy of mine. We got to, a teammate. Uh, first, I'll say he was. Uh, the 2017 gold medal winner at the uh, fantasy, Miracle on Ice Fantasy Camp. This guy's a great hockey player, but even more importantly, what he's done as far as his workout in Seattle, he is the one of the uh, creators and behind the NHLToSeattle.com and one of the grassroots uh, members of the community to bring an NHL franchise to Seattle. And I think he got a lot of uh, good news last week. So John Bohr joins us here on Nine on Hockey. John, thanks so much for coming on, on the show. Appreciate it. So, hey, John, before we talk a little bit about what transpired last week, and it seems like a lot happened all in a very short period of time, talk a little bit about the history of this movement, your site, what, how this all transpired, and you know some of the history behind it. Well, um, you know, I moved to Seattle about 14 years ago, and, and I realized like what a great hockey market this could be. It, it introduced me to – I grew up in California, so 
Um, but I was, grew up around the Bay Area before the Sharks were there, and hockey just wasn't part, like, nobody talked hockey until the Sharks moved in. And so I kind of saw what California was before there was hockey, and there was no, there was essentially no hockey in Northern California, and nobody talked about it. Um, but then I moved here about 14 years ago, um, and, and realized how, how kind of fertile of a hockey market this was in Seattle. Like we have two junior teams within 20 miles of, of downtown Seattle. We have eight rinks or eight sheets within, within 30 minutes. And that's, you know, that's not a lot. If you, if you know, you're talking to people in Minnesota or maybe New York or, or Boston, but it's much better than a lot of locations, um, big cities that, that maybe have a franchise or got a franchise. So, um, I knew how fertile it was. And so I'd start to, bore people to death talking about it all the time and how great uh, market uh, Seattle would be for the NHL. <laughs> but um, what the big thing we needed was an arena, right? It's always been the case. Like, we needed an arena. There was the key arena, which is where the Sonics played before they moved. Um, but And the Thunderbirds played there for a bit. That's the Seattle Thunderbirds from the WHL. Um, but they, they, they played in kind of the lopped-off end, kind of the horseshoe, um, Kind of like Barclays, but much, much worse in a, in a much older, older arena. Uh, it wasn't, and, it, and the seats were like positioned so you couldn't even see center ice if you just looked straight ahead. Like you had to kind of tilt your, tilt your body a little bit. But um, so anyway, we needed an arena. And about six or seven years ago, news broke that somebody was trying to put an arena together, and it was a Sonics kind of. Uh, guy wanted to be a Sonics owner, but he also talked about hosting NHL in that arena. Um, and so I figured we needed a hockey voice. And so six, seven years ago, I kind of created the blog, I, you know, created Twitter account, created the Facebook group, um, just to kind of help facilitate and mobilize the hockey community here, which is pretty fragmented because everybody roots for different teams because everybody's from different places. So, um, other than Vancouver, Vancouver's about, you know, two, two and a half hours away. Um, but the, um, most, like, 15% of the hockey fans here are Canucks fans just because of proximity. But everybody else is from somewhere else. And so we're all rooting for different teams. So let me just ask you when you say you, you, it's been fragmented, you created all this social media awareness. How many people do you have following you as far as NHL? to seattle.com on your twitter site what have you how, how large is the um is the following Tw- uh twitter's about um six thousand five hundred um you know the website you know it's, it just ebbs and flows based on the news cycles but um uh, the biggest kind of dialogue and discussion is on facebook where we have a group of about fourteen thousand or over fourteen thousand people um connecting and communicating and that's like blowing my mind away because it's just kind of I remember when I hit a thousand I'm like oh my gosh this is awesome this is really cool and now it's at 14,000 so pretty incredible that's great so most of these people local to Seattle that could be potential season ticket holders could um, you know potentially be part of the the fan base of if you do guys uh, get an NHL team I'd say it's a majority of it's local, but you also have people at proximity, like in, in you know Portland, Oregon's only three hours away, and so we have like a contingent of, of Oregon people that probably found the site and kind of and would be coming up for the games. There's people in beast in British Columbia that kind of follow the site, but for the most part, everybody it's probably like seventy five percent within 
you know, 30 miles or 50 miles of Seattle. That's awesome. So last week, obviously, it seems like things really moved at light speed as far as what was maybe just a, a you know an idea to seems like to become reality. Tell walk us through a little bit about the the events of last week. Well, it, it kind of set the tone with um, Tim Lewicki, and, and if you know who Tim Lewicki is and AG for that matter, uh, Tim Lewicki used to work be the. Um, CEO of AEG, and then he was um, CEO for MLSE, or Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. But um, about a year ago, the city put an RFP for uh, kind of a a completely redevelopment of the Key Arena site, which is where I was previously talking about the Sonics played. Um, You know, there's an RFP process, an awarding process, and then they had to negotiate, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of city, city council meetings. Uh, public hearings, those kind of things, open house, and um, things were progressing really well, like pretty much all summer um, and most of the fall. And so, what it was all kind of marching toward this this drop dead date, or not necessarily drop dead date, but a milestone of um, approving the MOU from the, in the city council meeting. So that happened on Monday, and in the meantime, we got a new mayor. Um, um, in about a week or so about 10 days ago now and so it was a new mayor coming in and so she needed to be relatively okay with the MOU and so she was then she signed it on Wednesday and then the Board of Governors was Thursday and and I knew you know it started to leak out of you know uh, New Year um, hockey media uh, last week that there would be some kind of discussion or, or or um, messaging from the league. And so that came out. So we were expecting something, but we didn't really expect essentially like, I mean, I'm, I don't want to say it's a done deal, right? Because there's there's things that can always derail these things, but a really positive sign that the NHL is, is almost exclusively looking at Seattle essentially for that 32nd, 32nd team. No, hey, John, it's Ernie here. I appreciate you coming on. Question for you. Do you think that if it does happen, which I think it will happen, uh, you know, the big talk is Seattle or putting a team back in Quebec, but uh, obviously I think Seattle will be a great hockey town like you would. Um, is it? Do you think it will be an, a new expansion team, or will you think a team uh, from another NHL city, maybe even the Panthers, uh, be moving to Seattle? Uh, all, all signs say it's expansion. Um, you know, they even have a negotiated price of six hundred fifty million. So, it seems like that would be a weird thing to negotiate with the the thought of buying it from somebody else. Now, um, that said, Bettman did kind of leave the door open since the franchise, the arena won't be done until October twenty twenty, and that's a pretty aggressive uh, timeline. But. Um, he did kind of allude to well at the time if there's a there's could be potential to relocate a team, but he's like oh but we don't anticipate that, uh, so that's not going to happen. It kind of he kind of brushed it off, but that was kind of a weird message. But all along the last four or five months, I've been hearing it's all expansion, and then places like Houston have been kind of started to percolate. And you probably have heard that a little bit too that that would be a potential relocation market for maybe say the Coyotes. And even, I don't know if you're following the uh, Calgary Flames kind of saga with um, their arena situation, but 
But people keep throwing the Calgary Flames, but I think that's years from being a real issue. But um, mm. those two teams have been third. Calgary and Arizona have been thrown out and as, as kind of potential teams for relocation, and Houston tends to be what people seem to report on. But I, I don't... You know, I don't know for sure, but that's that's what the vibe I get from people that are reporting on this every day. Yeah, well, the the, the talk. Uh, I mean, as last uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, the majority ownership was just sold to a Houston business owner, and Gary Bettman came out and said that this team is not relocating; they're not moving to Houston. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes are staying where they are. So, yeah, I've heard the the Houston uh, the bid, but uh, Carolina Pete Carmonos just sold a stake of his. Carolina Hurricanes, yeah. but they're staying in Carolina. So, yeah, I wasn't sure if uh, there's any other teams because we go down to the Panther games down here and it's dressed like a seat night every game. So you, uh, there's really nobody in the building. So you, you have to look to a team like the Panthers, but uh, they, they were just bought uh, by a, another group a couple years back. So you, you don't know. Yeah, I, I, I did see something specific about that Carolina purchase that that the owner could not expand – not file for relocation seven for years seven years yeah I, yeah and i thought that was even interesting that they put that in there meaning like it could happen in seven years but you know that might line with a lease agreement or something like that yeah yeah no i saw that read that myself so but uh no i wasn't sure because i mean i'd love to see uh, hockey in seattle i think i mean just with the mls and all the sport fans uh, that you have out there you'd have to think uh, hockey also be, uh, being so close to Canada right there would be a great spot for another uh, U.S. city uh, to have a hockey team and hopefully that uh, it will come to fruition. And it'll balance out the conferences yeah, too. Th- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think uh, you know, the Western Canada, um, the Western Canadian teams are pretty interested in, in having a, a team so they don't have to travel as far, right? That's just one more trip that's not that far away. Yeah. Um, I do believe... Uh, the fan, you know, I think there's a lot of fans here that don't know they're going to be hockey fans, and so that's kind of that's kind of the opportunity, you know. Like the Sounders, there, believe it or not, there was a um, I don't, and I'm not going to get the league right, but it might be an NASL soccer team called the Sounders before the MLS team was here, but they didn't draw nearly, obviously, nearly what they do. But the second the MLS Sounders came, they're drawing, they're I mean, tops in the league and and can draw you know forty thousand plus for a soccer game, which is very rare for for the area, and I'm, I I do really believe this town is loyal to their their sports teams. Yeah, and so just getting just putting a team here is going to create a lot, of, and and honestly, it's already creating a lot of buzz. It's a lot. There's people that are just jacked up already. They want to know ticket prices. They want to know, and I'm like, I want to know too, but but they keep asking me because I'm on the front lines here. But it's been it's been it's been an, an amazing seven days, and um, I. I, I, you know, it, it, there's going to probably be a lull. Like I'm going to lose my five minutes of fame, but um, it'll start to ramp up again as we as we launch a ticket um, a ticket drive and build awareness about, and then start breaking ground on that arena. So it's it's there's a lot of excitement, and I still have to remind myself we're still a couple years out from actually getting a franchise. Well, I think the, also the excitement that's been uh, around Las Vegas has really helped quite a bit. You've seen the success that they've had, and they they've built a market, you know, a fan base very quickly in a non traditional hockey market. So, I mean, clearly Seattle, the economic uh, 
you know, uh, the affluency index there in, 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 in the Seattle area is tremendous. And I think it, it has all the right demographics to be able to support a National Hockey League franchise. So I, I'm telling you, yeah. you live there, so you fully understand that. Yeah. Well, and what's what's pretty cool is, uh, I mean, it, it's in a very urban downtown environment, and it's actually pretty walkable from Amazon's main campus. So, so you know, thinking about the tech money involved and the people, and, and I play hockey, obviously, um, couple times a week and there's a bunch of guys from amazon that'll just kind of stay a little late out to work and then walk over um and and enjoy the game because it's it's right down in that amazon area so it's pretty cool it's going to be it's going to be real exciting it's going to be one more arena you're going to have to check off your list bob i'm looking forward to it absolutely no that'll be uh that'll be great so hey john thanks very much for taking some time congratulations i know um, you know what it's like when you're trying to work hard on something and you, you kind of have a dream and it, it, you, you, you set the strategy and here it is it's the execution's coming uh, you know live right before your eyes so uh, I think that's just tremendous <laughs> yeah, yeah. and uh, all right yeah, great a blast. And I, I appreciate the sport guys awesome John take Thanks, care John. we'll talk to you soon all right see you boys bye bye that was awesome wasn't it awesome no that's great I think it's important that when you have uh you know, I think we both grew up in pretty big traditional hockey markets. You had the Red Wings. I had three local teams yeah. around me. Um, you know, it's great to see when there's such good fans out there. And, uh, um, you know, you hope for the best. I mean, every team, every city wants their team. I was reading something today that Hartford wants the, the opportunity to bring their team back. But yeah. those are uh, the days of, uh, you know, unfortunately not everybody gets uh, gets an NHL franchise. But I hope, uh, I really hope for John and, and the fan base there in Seattle, they do well. So, well, Aaron, this was fun. We had, a, I think, a good episode. We learned a little bit about what's going on with possible expansion. Maybe we'll get out to go to Seattle in the next uh, the next couple of years. And uh, looking forward to hopefully a strong week here for uh, for our Islanders and the Red Wings. And uh, we'll see what happens over the course as we get close to that Christmas uh, uh, roster freeze. That usually uh, sparks a deal or two sometimes right before the holidays. And we'll see as every team wants to make sure that they get the opportunity to uh, to improve their hockey club. So. Thanks very much for joining us, everyone. Please like us on on Facebook and uh, Twitter. Uh, retweet out there, and uh, we'll look forward to sending that out there. And visit us on the uh, nineonhockey.com webpage. Everyone have a great day. Bye now.